0: Hi, welcome to True Creeps, where the stories are true and the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore to the possibly plausible paranormal, to horrifying history, to tense and terrible true crime, and everything else that goes bump in the night. We're your hosts, Amanda, and I'm Lindsay, and we want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. Today, we are going to talk about women who allegedly killed many people with poison. I'm always fascinated and compelled by a poisoner. I don't know why I find them so interesting, but I do. Did you used to be a poisoner? Used to be. Past life? Used to be. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Well, I I like that today we're talking about women poisoners. Because also, I just find women who murder more interesting because it's less common. It is less common. Very less common. (laughs) Very, very less common. <laughs> so the first one that we're going to discuss today was named Julia Tofana, and I just want to point out that Julia is spelled differently, and I love it. I don't know why, mm-hmm. but it's spelled with a G. It reminds me of the wedding singer when Adam Sandler's like, "Gulia, Gulia, Gulia." I did not think of that. I don't know why. But yeah, I like that. And then for some reason, too, as we're going through these two women, all I kept thinking is it was them and Chan Chuli like hanging out together. There's no reason for it. But I feel like they would have been friends. It's a similar vibe. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about Julia Tofana. From 1630 to 1655, Julia and her network of poisoners killed over 600 people, which is wild. That's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. Some people praise what she did, while others call her a serial killer. One or the other, maybe both. Yeah, a little of both. We're both just like nodding at each other like, eh, seems right, seems right. She began to be known as the Queen of Poison. Julia was part of what is described as a criminal magical underworld. It's whimsical. It is so whimsical. It's very whimsical. Like, I want to know everything about it. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. That would probably also be a very cool episode. Ooh, the criminal magical underworld. It would be. It would be. I don't know if you get these ads all the time, but I always get like weird coloring books that are just the most specific thing. And I feel like this could be one of them. The criminal magical underworld. Yes. Yes, (laughs) it is. It is a very specific thing. So Linwood Molinaire was the first to describe the black market of poison and witchcraft in the early 18th century in Europe. Most people involved in this didn't just sell nefarious stuff, but they also sold things like herbal remedies for things that traditional medicine was unable to cure. So it's like, it's fine. We belong here. We're just selling, you know, normal things. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Julia's background. Julia was born near Palermo, Sicily in approximately 1620, and her parents were Francis and Tofana. And her mother is also thought to be the person who originally made the first version of Aqua Tofana, and she did so to murder Julia's father. Mm. I've seen sources that say that's kind of all an allegation, but I've also seen sources that are very adamant that that is true, and she was also imprisoned and executed for it. Oh, well, wow. In 1633... And her execution was by being drawn and quartered. And if you don't know what drawn and quartered means, it's pretty horrific. Good description. What it means is the victim was drawn. And what that means is dragged by a horse to the place of execution. Then they're hanged, but not quite to death. Afterwards, they're disemboweled, beheaded, and then quartered, sometimes by tying each of the four limbs to a different horse and spurring them in different directions. I wonder what it means to be hanged, but not to death. Maybe it's not as far as a drop where like maybe their neck doesn't break, but it just chokes them for a while. Yeah, I saw some horrific illustrations where they show them being kind of like hung on a ladder type situation. And then that's where they're um kind of they start to be cut in the disembowing process. Mm-hmm. And then they bring them down and that's when they continue to make it worse or to connect them to horses. But really fucking bad. So bad. I think that's so a, one bad. One of the worst deaths, right? Yeah, it Jeez. feels pretty bad. So... I've seen some accounts where they just say that she maybe poisoned him. And I've seen accounts where they say that she was drawing quarter. Also, most accounts say that Julia would end up murdering her own husband with Aqua Tofana before moving to Naples with a woman named Girolama. In some sources, they say that Girolama was her daughter. In others, they say that she was just a young woman that she was traveling with. They would eventually end up settling in Rome after going to Naples. People also believe that Julia worked with a woman who had worked with her mother named Francesca Lasarda, and she was referred to as a cunning woman. She was eventually arrested, and in 1634, she was executed. So Girolamo basically took her place as a cunning woman, and what she did was she worked with noble women to sell them the wares from Julia, which, again, from what I understand, was not just aqua tofana, but was predominantly aqua tofana. So when we're talking about deaths, it's from that poison, but they also sold them other things. Mm There was also a woman named Giovanna de Grandis who was hired and she worked with lower class women. And Julia also hired a Catholic priest named Girolama as well of St. Agnese in Agon. And his job was to assist in procuring arsenic because his brother was an apothecary. So the father could buy a lot of arsenic and it not raise any flags. So he's like, my brother's an apothecary. It's fine. Also, he's a man, you know, All right. Well, they really thought this through. Well, I mean, she would go on to employ like 200 people. That would include lots of men. This is the list that I saw many places. Lots of confidence men, witches, apothecaries, astrologers, wise women, abortionists, and fortune tellers. And again, this is because she wasn't just selling poison. She was also likely selling herbal abortions, magic wands, grimoires, incense, love potions, breast milk, and, you know, the usual dried menstrual blood. First off, that's an interesting group of people to have together. Yeah. Like, I feel like it's the beginning of like a joke almost. Yes, you yes. Know, like, all these random people that really don't have a lot to do with each other, but kind of do. Yeah, agreed. And then a very interesting list of black market items. Yeah, they seem to have a common theme. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that last one hits me a little bit, you know? it does. Yeah. During this time, it was apparently not uncommon for clergy members to act as middlemen in procuring poisons, charms, books on magic or abortions. Isn't it interesting? That last one, It is interesting. I think it's also, we're going to talk about in a bit too, but women don't really have any rights in this situation, in this time period, right? And it's even a relatively recent, in the grand scheme of things, distinction that a husband cannot rape a wife. It used to be that your wife was your property and you could therefore have sex with her whenever you wanted to. And her no did not mean anything. Yeah. So when you keep that in mind, it makes sense why you might go, okay. it's very reasonable that you might not want this child. Yeah. And kind of related to that, have you been to a wedding where they still use those vows where they're like, you will obey and all of this. And I'm like, oh I've been to weddings where they've used the verbiage like that, but it's been with people who I don't think are the sort who would want to like write their own wedding ceremony. And they're just like, this is what a wedding ceremony is. This is always what it's been. Or they're very religious. Or one of them is very religious. And they're like, this is what wedding vows are. And I'm like, Ay. I was in a wedding where I didn't expect it to happen. Oh, no. And then like and the I'm camera like, where we you're like, obey, I will sooner die <laughs> yes, than just yes. willfully obey you at any time. No, no, no. Exactly. Yeah. So let's talk about this poisoning network. Love that, by the way, a poisoning network. I mean, it's so thought out. 200 people? Like, that's a lot of people to employ. I more think of it way back then, before cell phones. How did you coordinate this? I barely can coordinate getting, like, 10 people to a restaurant at the same time. Yeah, well, first off, getting people to the restaurant at the same time is just fucking annoying. But also, if you think, like, this is 25 years that she operated and not one of these 200 people flipped on her. Just the sheer span of this is wild to me. All of it is. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So her Poisoner Network spanned through Rome, Naples, and Sicily. Most of Julia's clientele were lower class women who were being abused by their husbands. Women had, like Lindsay said, very few rights at this time. And there weren't other options to get out of an abusive marriage. Aqua Tofana was sold only to women. I want to just point out. That series of facts explains why a lot of people don't see her as a serial killer. I think so. Yeah, because they had no other option other than to endure whatever was being done to them. Yes. It was advertised as a quote. I love this, by the way. Face cream for any woman looking to appear beautiful and single again. Single again. Single again. I mean, when you really think about it, it's like, oh. Oh, yes. And when I first read that, I laughed. and I was like, oh, this is probably very inappropriate to laugh at this because people were dying. But then when you think of it, the people that were dying were abusive, right? Like they were hurting their wives in many different ways. They also allege that there were women who wanted to inherit their husband's estate, but didn't feel like waiting. And so that they were using it in that way, too. And I would like, I doubt that it was always used for the best intentions, but I'm sure that from what we looked at, it was predominantly used as that. Right, right. So like, obviously, back then there wasn't other ways, but now we have different ways to like not have to kill someone over it. But just the slogan was hilarious to me. And I was like, could you think of it like Neutrogena nowadays, <laughs> like using that as a branding advertisement? I think of it more as um Oil of Olay because Neutrogena is like a younger brand to me. And Oil of Olay is more like, to me, 30s, 40s. That's fair. I literally had a Neutrogena like lotion thing on my desk. And so, yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking like something that makes a woman who's like, when I think the term divorcee, I think 30s, 40s. So today you could say that and it would make sense. You know what I mean? Like you could think, oh, like your marriage ended, like you want to get out there, you know? And so I'm like, oh, this is like make you feel. Yeah. But then they're like single again. You're never single again ever. Exactly. Unless. Unless. So let's talk about this poison. Julia's poison was her signature aqua tovana. And as we mentioned earlier, was first developed by her mother. It didn't have a taste or an odor. And it would present in the poisoned person like they were dying of a common cold. Also, this is a time when people were dying of the common cold. So that's sad. Like, just how far we've come, the common Mm -hmm. cold killing people. I mean, I guess it's still kind of can today in certain parts of the world, unfortunately, but just that's wild to me. What it would do is it would induce weakness, exhaustion, stomach ache, intense thirst, vomiting, and dysentery. Now let's talk about the ingredients of this. It was arsenic, lead, antimony, and mercuric chloride. Which, by the way, what that is, is it's a mixture of chlorine and mercury. I would have never guessed. Yeah, from the name, sure. But I guess in my head, I was like, let me make sure that's what that is. Like, clearly, that's not going to do good in the human body. Oh, no, 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 no. So it was indistinguishable from natural causes by those who were performing the autopsies on these people, which that's really interesting to think of back then. I guess like when they'd open someone up, they'd be like, "Mm, they have all their organs. Looks good. Yeah, yeah. But it it is interesting that like they had to try to go around autopsies because like, yeah, when you think of an autopsy back then, you don't really think that they'd be able to find most things like they could see if there's a tumor or like something wild happening. I mean, they could probably tell if you were stabbed or if you were hit over the head with a candlestick. I'm sure that there was other ways in which women were like, I could just, but like they would be able to see a wound. Yeah. By the way, have you been playing Clue online again? (laughs) (laughs) no but i like that you were like you didn't even like account for like violent acts of murders you were like tumors they could see a tumor <laughs> well like obviously they'd be like mm, there's still a knife in that dude like they're dead yeah i would have been the greatest person to perform autopsies <laughs> I still can if anyone needs me. Well, there are jurisdictions that have very lenient requirements for medical examiners. So who knows? That could be... Oh, 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 yeah. Is Arizona one of those places? (laughs) I would not be surprised. I think I watched a documentary a while back, and it was around where Alex Cox died from the Vallow mess. And I was like, oh, that's a thing. Like, people just like come in off the street and they're like, medical examiner call me. That's me now. <laughs> and I'm like, what? What I find wild is stories of people in the world who are like, yep, these are all my credentials. And a person's like, you seem legitimate. I am not going to double check these. And then they're like, doing doctory stuff. Wild. Anywho, let's talk about this again. All right. So back to this. So some accounts say that the lethal dose was only six drops of this poison. Ruh-roh. <laughs> That's so tiny. Even after Julia was caught and Aqua Tofano was no longer being sold, the name became synonymous with any poison that was slow acting and wasn't able to be detected by surgeons. Interesting. Yeah. Some accounts say that the vials would have Mana di San Nicola on them and that it would have the image of St. Nicholas. And this was an actual thing because it was a healing oil. And the idea that they were just hiding it in these bottles is wild. It kind of stresses me out, though, like if the wrong person found it was like, this is just oil. Well, so and what's really interesting is that there's rumors, there's conjecture that during this time period, women in these areas all kept a bottle of this in their makeup kit, just in case. So they had to have it in a bottle that looked innocuous. So it was something that people recognized and they were like, oh, it's this other thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, but couldn't you see some accidental poisoning? Like, oh, I'm just going to steal her healing oil real quick. And then... Yeah, that or like children, like children get into everything. I don't think children were getting into anything then. They were busy in like factories and stuff. Yeah, but like a two-year-old's not working in a factory or a one-year-old that just started walking is not working in a factory. You know how like nowadays there's TikToks of like children getting into women's makeup and they're like putting on lipstick all over their face or like writing on the wall. I just don't picture old-timey children doing that. They're not allowed in their mother's boudoir. They had to get into stuff. They had so many of them though. Most of the time, like there were so many children. They had to have done some stupid shit. Children do stupid shit. I'm sure they did, but maybe not this. Hopefully not. If you knew you had poison, would you be keeping it in a place where your kid could get to it? No, but kids get into things that you don't think that they can get into. (laughs) They're wild, Lindsay. They're feral. (laughs) They're feral. (laughs) You can't control these children. (laughs) Amanda has very wild eyes right now. (laughs) They're insane. You could tell that her child is seven. <laughs> <laughs> He's tame now. But, anyways, back to the kids get into shit. That stresses me out. I mean, fair. Very fair. And also interesting, like during this time, generally potions and tinctures weren't really that effective or reliable. And so some people think that the stories of the efficacy of aquatofauna are greatly exaggerated. And some are like, Oh, my God, these silly women just happened to stumble upon an effective concoction. And I just can't tell you how angry it makes me to be like, oh, you're right. These silly women couldn't possibly have come up with something on purpose because they're smart. You know, smart enough to hire 200 people and have a criminal network for 25 years. I don't know why it makes me mad on her behalf because she did murder people. but. It's still just annoying. Women can't even get credit for murdering people. Mm-mm, they can't get any credit for anything. 200 do anything. people. A network of 200 without a cell phone. I just still in the back of your head. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. So to administer the poison, they would typically mix it with wine or food. And you would think that people would think differently about making women do that, right? Oh, what, get back in the kitchen? Yeah. Yeah, all I hear is I play Call of Duty and anytime I speak, that's the first thing out of someone's mouth. What are you doing? Get back in the kitchen. I'm assuming you're meeting with strangers, not with the men that you regularly play with. <laughs> oh, yeah, Of course, of course. Yeah. If we play with any randos, that's the first thing. So it's just funny. Like, okay, yeah, but women are known to poison you. Sure. I was talking to someone who was saying that whenever they play video games with random people and they end up talking to someone who's like very right leaning, they'll somehow always get like right wing conspiracy theorists who are like spouting off just like pure nonsense. And he's like, (laughs) I just want to play this video game. Right. And now I'm concerned about humanity. Oh, yeah. There's been times where I've had to be like, that's enough video game. I want to play this game. But these people are insane. And they make me angry and I shouldn't get angry over a video game. So that means it's time to stop. This isn't that fun. my soul. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, don't get angry about something so silly. But then when the people are crazy or, yeah, the second you speak as a woman, they're like, get back in the kitchen. What are you doing? Go make me a sandwich. And you're like, you think that you should let a woman who you're talking to this way make you food? Exactly. Yes. Here, have some delicious soup. <laughs> Fresh. <laughs> There's only six drops of herbal remedy in it there are how many ingredients do we have one two three four that's a four ingredient soup five ingredient soup oh you're meaning the whole soup is this <laughs> no no it's this four of so the big. four of the ingredients are aqua and the other ingredient is soup <laughs> oh, I'm, like, I'm saying six drops of aqua tifana. if you are telling women on the regular to go back into the kitchen a full bowl for you <laughs> I think that's fair. Maybe even a full bowl of lye. And we'll get there. And that will make sense <laughs> later. So in 1650, a woman who had purchased aqua tofana had mixed some into a bowl of soup for her husband. And in the last minute right before he was about to eat it, she like knocked it out of his hand. I was like, no, 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 no. And he was like suspicious. So he beat her until she told him what she had done and where she had gotten it. So then he turned her into the authorities and they then from what I've seen, tortured her until she provided the information. Julia went into hiding after this because it was pretty loud what was happening, right? Like People knew very quickly. And Julia was beloved. The women who she had saved from these abusive marriages never turned her in or women who inherited very early weren't turning her in, right? People weren't feeling badly about what they had done and going, oh, we should make this or this is off the market. They were keeping their mouths shut, which meant that they were also loyal to her. And most of the time, you know, you heard from a friend of a friend of a friend. And that's how people were finding out where to go and who to talk to to get aqua mm-hmm. So it's not surprising that the person who likely told this woman would then kind of like the word would get back very quickly. Yeah. So word got back to Julia and she went into hiding in the church and she continued to manufacture and distribute aqua tofana, But this time she had a new network and it was nuns. Ooh. Yeah. And that was going fine until a rumor spread that she was planning to poison the water supply with it, which she wouldn't do. No, because at this point she's selling only to women and mostly to women who are trying to escape a very bad situation. And also she's selling it for money. She's selling it. Why would she just pour all of it in the water supply? That would also kill her network. That wouldn't, whatever. Exactly. It's a stupid reason to be mad, but okay. Be mad about something else, but not that. So, nevertheless, an angry group of locals went to confront the convent, and that's when Julia got turned into the authorities. Again, they tortured her, and they did so until she confessed to the death of at least 600 men. And that's where that number comes from. It could be that it was more or less, but that's where the number of 600 comes from. But when you think like 600 divided by 25 is 24 men a year, do you think they were only selling two vials of aqua a month? I don't think so. <laughs> no? <laughs> and do you think that six drops is all that was in those bottles? Not at all. Probably not. No. For a vial that was supposed to be oil? No. Yes, exactly. So that's probably a conservative number. Some think that Julia, her daughter, 40 customers and six assistants were executed in in Rome. Others think that Julia died of natural causes in 1651 or that her execution was in either 1659, 1709 or 1730. And the last one's a little bit weird because she would have been over 100. It's that oil. But regardless of what you think happened to her after she was arrested in 1958, Girolama, her daughter or friend, whichever the case, moved the operation to Rome, and then they took over. So they didn't stop making tofana. and her and Giovanna were arrested and publicly hanged in 1659. tofana continued to be produced. After members of Julia's network were apprehended. And that was because most apothecaries at that point had the recipe to make it. And it would later be credited with the murder of a famous musician and composer, Mozart. Which is crazy, because I had never actually heard this theory when talking about Mozart. And I'm just like, what an interesting end to this story, though, right? Is that we're fast forwarding almost a century later to Mozart. Right, right. Yeah. And a little bit about him. All of us have heard his name, obviously. Mm -hmm. But Wolfgang Mozart was just 35 when he died on December 5th of 1791. For some reason, in my head, he was always older. Right? Oh, I mean, 35. I'm 35. It's because he looked like he was 70. Yes. I feel like every painting I see of him, he has very, like, bushy white hair. Yes. Yeah, like, I'm looking at paintings of him right now, and I'm like, you weren't 35. No, no. <laughs> like my 35 going on 7,000. <laughs> yes. So at the time of his death, he had symptoms like a fever, a rash, vomiting, pain, and swelling. And it's speculated that he died of rheumatic fever, syphilis, kidney failure, or strep, which that's a lot of different things. <laughs> yeah. And I did see that there's even more theories today. Like a lot of people were talking about how he might have been bled. Yikes. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of stuff going on with him. As his symptoms got worse, without a clear cause, Mozart himself wondered whether he had been poisoned by Aquatafana at one point. And specifically, he said, Ahem, <clears throat> <clears throat> I feel definitely that I will not... Mal- why am I Southern? <laughs> I don't know. I love that though. And yet I will be Southern for this. I don't know why. I feel definitely that I will not last much longer. <laughs> I am sure that I have been poisoned. I cannot rid myself of this idea. Someone has given me aqua tofana and calculated the precise time of my death. What fun. I loved a dramatic reading. Dramatic. But also, like, that is very dramatic. Can you imagine someone is just like, truly, they have what looks like a stomach bug with a rash. And they roll over and they look at you and they go, someone has calculated the precise time of my death. I mean, that's how I feel when I'm sick. But I mean, oh, I am very dramatic when I have a stomach bug, but I just, it's the wording of it. Yeah. I've been like, oh, I feel like, should I feel like I'm going to die? Right? Like, that's different than someone has calculated the precise time of my death. I mean, back then, though, any little thing, you're like, well, I'm dead now. Any little thing and you're like, someone has calculated the precise time of my death. <laughs> Anything that happens to me from this point forward, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm going to start telling Ben have you calculated the precise time of my death whenever he does something that would have made me like fall or something, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. He'll never know about this either. Sorry. Oh, (laughs) he won't, he won't. Many thought that a rival composer, Antonio Salieri, had poisoned Mozart. And going back to it, Mozart didn't have symptoms that could only be attributed to being poisoned. So eventually that was ruled out, but it's just an interesting theory. However. Unfortunately, that rival composer was ostracized. And I even saw the rest of his life, he had issues because everyone thought that he had killed Mozart with poison, and he didn't. Doesn't that suck? That That's really sad. To this day, though, I was unable to see an official cause of death for Mozart. Yeah. Like, there's just theories, and I even see new theories from even this year already of like, could this have been it? Yeah. And I feel like some of the articles that we were looking at weren't from very long ago. They were from like the last decade. Yeah. Yeah. And people are still going on about it. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's interesting. It's like, why? And, you know, 35 looking like yours. What would you say? 700? I don't know what you call it. He did. He was 35 going on 70. <laughs> so let's talk about our next poisoner. And her name is Marie Besnard. And she's known as the Queen of Poisoners not poison. So Marie was born 200 miles southwest of Paris. When she was born, her name was Marie Josephine Philippine Dullibert. Pierre-Eugène and Marie-Louise had already lost two infant sons before Marie was born. And when Pierre, who was a farmer, would come home, he would cuddle her. And Marie-Louise would tell her daughter often that she loved her for three when Marie was 12, she was diagnosed with typhoid, and she was told that she shouldn't overtax her brain if she didn't want to die young. Before the diagnosis, she had been attending a convent school, but she dropped out after. And so she couldn't really read or write, but she was excellent at embroidery, and she would start to help her mom around the house. So let's talk about her first marriage. Marie married her first cousin, Auguste Antony, in 1920. Antony was two years older than her. And she had a crush on him since she was 17. They started dating when she turned 18, and then they got married six years after that. Decent time to wait for that long ago. At that point, Marie was 24 and he was 26. He was already sick when they got married because he had tuberculosis. But Marie didn't care and had said, quote, we were in love. Early in their marriage, she got pregnant. But unfortunately, she miscarried. She took care of him for the entirety of their marriage. Neighbors noticed how well she took care of him. So Otney died of pleurisy in 1927. And pleurisy is when the very thin layers of tissue that separate your lungs from your chest wall are inflamed. And just as a note, you're going to learn about so many medical conditions today. Oh, yeah. Because we're going to tell you all of them. <laughs> We're not scientists, but we talk about scientific things. And we have the internet. And we have the internet. (laughs) So this could be caused by tuberculosis, which obviously he had a history of, or rib trauma or fractures, autoimmune disorders, viral bacterial or fungal infections, or lung cancer. So a long list of things that can cause this. From what we saw, pleurisy is more of like a symptom. It's not a cause of death. It's like a symptom of something greater that causes your death. The internet even said it's very rare for it to be fatal. And when you first hear about it, it sounds like Aquatofana, does it not? It does. What he's going through. And then you realize, oh, okay, 1927, they got together in 1920. He wouldn't have been showing signs of the poisoning for that long. And even before. Right. right, Like it would have taken him much sooner if it had been that. But that's immediately where my head went. I was like, Tafana again. <laughs> Everything's aquatofana now. Everything. Marie recalled that he looked like he was just skin and bones when he died. That's very sad. So she was still pretty young when they got married. And after he died, her parents and friends were very adamant that she should remarry because she's a widow. Very young. Yeah. And so her cousin, Pascaline Verte, and her husband introduced Marie to a man named Leon Besnard. And he was 36 and single, which was rare. And Marie, when they met, was 32. Leon worked with his father and they both worked making saddles and harnesses and had a store. There were rumors that Leon was Pascaline's lover and that he was also the father of her two younger children. Some think that Pascaline thought that she could use this marriage as a way of keeping Leon in her life so that he wouldn't go marry someone else. and that. Because her cousin was kind of homely, he would never fall in love with her, actually. Hmm. Fucking rude. Right. Pascaline, do better if that's the case. Anywho, so Marie and Leon were married in August of 1928. And after they married, Marie began working at that saddle and harness shop that I mentioned earlier that was run by the Besnard family. And when they got married, there was a rift between Leon and his parents and sister because one day his father... Marceline and Leon got in a fight and Leon basically like grabbed his father by his neck and he was known to be short-tempered so this wasn't like completely a bizarre and one-time expression of anger for him right like it's, yeah. it was kind of like who he was ish and so his father his mother and his sister were kind of like Ugh, yikes about him so Marie helped everyone reconcile to the point where they were like friendly again she was like, I want to get along with everyone, which I'm like, OK, I'm loving this for you. Yeah, but still. I mean, but still, clearly, like, <laughs> that's a problematic. But I I do like that she was like, your relationship with your family is important. Yeah, we should yeah. work through this as much as you can work through someone doing that. Yeah, that makes sense. So while they were still newlyweds, Leon began going out at night. And some gossipers, including her best friend, Mistress Louise Pintu, said that they saw him going into Pascaline's home. While others said Marie made this up because she wanted to stir up trouble. Seemed a little out of character for her, like, wanting everyone to stay together. Right? It's also a weird vibe, especially like, who's like, my husband's cheating on me for fun. Right, right. Just the drama. Yeah. So then people started sending Marie anonymous letters about it. Can you imagine getting a letter? (laughs) I'd be like, what is this? You know, like, especially like That's kind of scary they, like, wrote to me. It is a little scary. Yeah. So I'm like, who knows my address? I mean, I right. guess you can kind of Google people and figure it out. But, like... Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we already talked about, like, even with Charles Vallow, when he emailed Tammy and we're like, if we got like a weird email, like how we'd feel. But can you even imagine like one step further, a letter? Well, they weren't going to send an email in the 1920s and 30s. Obviously, I'm just saying that it would be weird. But something in your hands were like, can you imagine the drama of like, you walk up to your second mother and you're like, what is this? And you're like shaking it, you know? Yes, shaking it. It gets you when you have a wild hair. <laughs> Lindsay had crazy in her eyes right there. Like, I did. I did. Arm up. Okay. To shake the letter, not for <laughs> violence. I just want to point that out. Okay. That's fair. Just make sure you're characterizing the scenario correctly. <laughs> so Marie confronted him and told him he had to choose between her or her cousin. Tell him, Marie. So they kept their horses at Pascaline's barn. And he said the only reason he was going there was to feed the horses, which, Okay. Yeah, feed your pets. The good old, I'm going to feed the horses line. <laughs> <laughs> but like, in that time period, it may have been a thing that people were, Like, I was just there feeding my horses. <laughs> I'm going to text Benji next time Lindsay asks you where you're going. Please tell her you're going to <laughs> feed the horses. <laughs> He's gonna out go, what is wrong with you. And you're going to say, you know, you'd know if... Oh, absolutely. I will. Yeah. Yeah. That's my favorite. Even before it's, this episode is to circle out, back. Oh, yeah. My favorite thing is to circle back. He's not going to know whether it was before or after because he's not going to listen. So <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's just my favorite bit <laughs> because I also like, I'm truly not offended because like he listens to me enough, you know? But like, <laughs> it's just my favorite. So I about it. I do. It's perfect. It's perfect. So, anyways, he he says he was feeding the horses, right? He promised to build a barn as soon as he could, so that he wouldn't need to go there anymore. Don't worry, babe. I'm just feeding the horses. I'm so sorry. I I couldn't help it. (laughs) That's gonna be anytime anyone asks me anything. I'm just feeding the horses. You know our horses are at Pascaline's. You know what though? But Mike's gonna go. whose horses are you going to visit? Because like I would be like I found these horses and I'm gonna go feed them. (laughs) You're like, look. A distant relative has a horse and I had to feed them. It doesn't have to be. It could be a horse that I found down the road. It could be. Someone contacted me to feed a horse. That's actually if you ever wanted to trap Amanda somewhere, you could be like, an animal needs help. Here's the address. She'd be like, I gotta go. yeah. Yeah, well, I told, I think I've said it on here. That's how Mike proposed to me, got me to the spot he wanted me to because he said, oh, I saw a dog. He's like, did you see that? And I was like, no, I was looking at my phone. No, you have not said this. A dog Please tell. Over there. Oh, no, no, no. I need you to start at the beginning. Start at the beginning of oh, the story. Really? We can move it to the end. I need to know. Yeah. I thought I've said this. Yeah. Some of this is going to stay in the actual episode, but we're going to move Amanda's story that she's about to tell to after our outro, because it's where we keep a lot of our tangents and nonsense. If you want to hear that, just listen through all the way. <laughs> anyway, let's uh talk about Leon going to Pascaline's house to feed a horse. Mm -hmm. And that one day he was going to build a barn so that he wouldn't have to go there anymore. But anyways. Okay, okay. We like action. (laughs) Yes. So Marie also confronted Pascaline. After the possible affair was settled, Gossipers started telling Marie that he was having an affair with Pintu. And no one called her Louise for some reason, just by her last name. Mm -hmm. So in one of the articles we read, this was so mean, it said, quote, Pintu was in no way attractive which feels incredibly rude and sad. So disrespectful. Like what a weird way to describe someone. Like, okay. He couldn't possibly. She was in no way attractive. <laughs> yeah. So mean. So by now they had been married for 13 years and he told her he loved only her. When he was talking to a friend about their marriage, he said, quote, everything's solid here. Then people started saying that Marie was having an affair. I don't know why people were so obsessed with this couple. What is it with people in this fucking couple? Go away. Go and get. They needed a hobby. Oh my God. Clearly. Not this hobby. Not this one. They need to go build that damn barn for them is what they needed to do. So the first alleged affair that she had was with Toussaint Ravis, who was Leon's best friend. And then the second alleged affair was with a German prisoner of war. Okay. The prisoners of war were working on farms in France while they were awaiting repatriation. The prisoner that was working on the farm, his name was Alfred Dietz, and they called him 80, and he lived in their attic. Okay. So sad. He was 30 years old, and at the time, Marie was 49 and Leon was 53. At one point, Marie brought him new clothing because he was wearing a prisoner uniform and people started to gossip even more, which it sounds like she was just being nice. Yeah. Feels kind. Yeah. He's like working on their farm. Living in an attic. And also like he's in her house. so He's probably like eating with them. So like he's wearing this one outfit all of the time. Yeah. She's like, "Mm -hmm." you could see why you might want someone to not like that would smell. Yeah, Yeah. Especially working in a field all day. Yeah. Yeah. So. People suck in this area, I guess. Mm -hmm. Allegedly, at one point, Leon told a friend, quote, I am no longer the master in my own home. Dietz is the master in the house, and I am my servant's servant. That's drama. Although I feel that way about the cat sometimes. (laughs) Oh, Amanda, you know I feel (laughs) that way right now. The girl has got five medications, two of which she gets twice a day, none of which she takes without a fucking fight. So, okay, moving on from the affair drama-ish for now, there are accounts that compared to the rest of Leon's family, Marie and Leon lived pretty modestly. And this was despite the fact that the rest of his family was pretty well off. We've seen lots of accounts that people say that Marie and Leon were very resentful about this. So keep that in mind because people are going to start to die now. Leon's great-aunt Marie-Louise Lecomte was Leon's grandmother's sister, and she was 86 when she died on August 22nd of 1938, and her cause of death was listed as old age. She had no children, but she did have a pretty decent estate. Marie had cared for her before she died, and despite Marie having cared for her, the entire inheritance went to Leon's parents. Hmm. And because of this, Leon had a hissy fit and decided to not attend her funeral. Marie tried to get him to go, and he refused. And she wanted to go, especially because she was taking care of her in the end. So, like, they likely bonded, Yeah, I would imagine. But she didn't, because she was worried that Leon would be mad at her. On July 14th of 1939, Toussaint Revet died. And again, remember, that's Leon's best friend. He was a baker, and he was actually sick for a relatively short time before he died. And I think that's one of the reasons that people thought this was a little bit more suspicious But again, Marie came to help take care of him. She was helping his wife Blanche take care of him. And his cause of death was listed as galloping consumption, which I had never heard of. Like I'd heard of consumption, which is tuberculosis, but not when it's galloping. And apparently it's described that way because it's one of the worst strains of tuberculosis and it moves quicker than tuberculosis typically does. Because remember earlier we were talking about Marie's first husband, who had tuberculosis for seven years before he died versus a short period of time and then dying. So after Chasson, on May 14th of 1940, Marie's father, Pierre, died. And... He died of cerebral congestion. And what the fuck is cerebral congestion, you may ask? It was basically a a way to describe a catch-all for things that happened kind of in where you would assume would be the brain, right? So that would include things like cerebral hemorrhage, depression, manic outbursts, headaches, comas, seizures, and then various other brain syndromes that when I looked them up, I did not understand them. Various other brain syndromes. Marie and her mother, Marie-Louise, shared the inheritance from her father. And at that point, Marie-Louise moved in with Leanne and Marie, which makes sense, right? Yeah. Every morning after that, Marie and her mother would go to church and pray for her father. And they would all wear all black. Very devoted. Very devastated. Clearly, it appeared. It appeared. It appeared. So on September 2nd of 1940, Louise, Leon's 92-year-old grandmother died, and Marie had been her nurse when she had gotten sick. Her official cause of death was old age, and she left her assets to Leon's parents. Then, in November of 1940, Marceline, Leon's father, who was 58, so not very old, died. Uh-uh. And he died after eating some mushrooms, and he began having diarrhea and vomiting. His wife, whose name was also Marie Louise, was his sole heir. On January 16th of 1941, Marie-Louise Besnard, who was 69, died. Marie was her nurse as she was dying as well. And her cause of death was listed as double pulmonary congestion. And pulmonary congestion is when the membranes around the lungs have a buildup of fluid. And it's often a symptom of congestive heart failure. So she hadn't fully forgiven Leon for grabbing Marceline around the neck, which we talked about earlier. So she left the entire estate to Leon's sister, Lucy. On March 27th of 1941, Leon found Lucy hanging from the stairwell in the house next to them that she had gotten as part of her mother's estate. She didn't have a will. So Leon, which was her next of kin, inherited her entire estate. So that means like also the entire estate of his parents, too. Yes, Which is... everything. Okay. Okay. So on December 27th of 1941, Blanche Revie, who was only 58, died of acute uremia. She was only sick for a short time. And guess who cared for her? Marie. And just so you know what she died of, it is when you have a decreased kidney function and it causes a buildup of waste in your blood. So probably like a horrific death. That sounds uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And when she passed, Marie was the sole heir of Blanche's estate. Okay. Okay. So far, we have had many a death from things that seem like they're other things, right? Yeah. A buildup of waste in one's blood, some type of brain situation that's kind of a catch-all, quote-unquote old age, pulmonary issues, right? Yeah. Next, two of Marie's cousins, Virginia and Pauline, die after each of them mistakenly ate a bowl of lye mistakenly pauline was 88 at the time of her death and virginia was 83 and even more bizarre these were two separate and distinct occasions so on july 1st of 1945 pauline ate a bowl of lye and died then on the 9th of july in 1945 virginia ate a bowl of lye and she died so like not long after Eight days. No, it was like a little bit more than a week. Yeah. So some sources say they mistook the bowl of lye for their dessert and click the link, Amanda, in our outline because it looks like sugar to me. Like it looks like a bowl of sugar when you look at lye. It's just kind of like a white granulated substance. Uh, to me, in my head, I think it's soft. So I think of like if you were to um, crumble like coconut oil, you know, like if you grate it when it's cold, that's mm-hmm. what it looks like to me. I've never grated it when it's cold. Interesting. I haven't, but I'm like, that, the texture. Yeah. It looks like an ingredient, not a food to me, if that makes sense. Like, it doesn't look like a dish. Why was there bowls of lye everywhere? That's a good question. Especially after the first occasion, an elderly woman ate one, right? Uh, how do you eat a whole bowl of it? Like, if you took a bowl you'd know. be like, this is not dessert. Well, that's funny you say that, right? Because... Of course, I looked up what lye tastes like of course. and how it would feel to eat it. It's bitter and it could cause severe burns in your mouth, throat and stomach. And the pain would be so immediate that it seems really unlikely that a person would voluntarily eat an entire bowl of lye. Yeah. And I just I, again, I still can't get in my head what they would have mistaken it for that they could have taken more than one bite and it made sense. Yes. So, okay, we're not surprised now, right? Marie and Leon were the sole heirs of the sisters' estates. And no one's like, guys, you keep getting a lot of things left to you. That's insane. Yes. Well, and like, keep in mind, right in the beginning, not so much. People were dying and leaving it to Leon's parents. Yeah. But then their estate got really big, right? Mm -hmm. So when Leon and Marie got married, they only had the saddle and harness shop. I'm pretty sure that was theirs. Yeah. And it was but it was like the families, but it was theirs. But by this time, they had six houses and in a cafe and two farms. One of the farms was for grapevines and the others was a horse farm. So I would imagine the horse farm would be particularly lucrative as well, right? Yeah. So then on October twenty fifth of nineteen forty seven, Leon died. And he also dies of uremia. There are accounts that Marie fell in love with someone else and had poisoned Leon to get him out of the way. There are also accounts that Marie found out that Leon was having an affair and that shortly before Leon died, he told Pintu that he thought he was being poisoned because his wife, quote, had served him some soup on a bowl that already contained a liquid. Marie was his sole heir as well. But like if he saw that, why would he eat the soup? Right. Also, Pintu was like, "Oh, he said this." Right. That's the only person who we would tell that to. I feel like I would be like telling literally anybody who could hear me. Right. <laughs> Something's askew. Being poisoned. Someone... And being poisoned. Wait, wait. What's? The... Oh, <laughs> I think that someone has calculated the precise time of my death. <laughs> yes.
1: Pintu. That's what
0: he said, "Thank you." Someone has calculated the precise time of my death. Yeah, you got to get it right. Yeah, of course. So let's talk about the aftermath of Leon's death. So Pintu told basically anyone who would listen Leon's story, which fair, like you should. But this included her possible lover, Auguste Massip. And after Pintu's house was ransacked, Massip blamed Marie. And he decided to write a letter to law enforcement to accuse Marie of poisoning Leon. And when he sent this letter, he sent it anonymously. They questioned Pintu as the letter cited her as a source of the information. So let's move on to the investigation and the trials. So when Marie spoke to law enforcement, she denied involvement. Leon had always run all the farms and the businesses. And then when he died and left it all to her, she had to take on all of the work. So of course she was you know, overwhelmed and she wasn't a fan of doing all that work. <laughs> Fair. She really relied on Adi to help her and he eventually returned to Germany. And after a few months, he did end up coming back. So soon after he returned, on January 16th of 1949, Marie's mother, Marie-Louise, died after she had gotten the flu. And gossipers immediately began to suspect Marie. People also said that Marie-Louise would have bruising on her face and had said that Marie had hit her. People said that she had told them, quote, misfortune came to us when Alfred arrived. My son-in-law would certainly be alive now if that German had never come. Yikes. Right? Right? Law enforcement couldn't really ignore the gossipers anymore, so they opened an investigation, and they questioned her for hours. They also questioned Aidy, and when they were done, they had driven him seven miles from the farm, and they had him walk back. Rude. Leon's remains were exhumed on May 11th of 1949, and on July 21st, Marie was arrested after they found traces of arsenic in his remains. All of her relatives, except her first husband, were exhumed. And with the exception of Marie's mother, everyone had traces of arsenic. When she was arrested, she was also charged with fraud because she had cashed her aunt's pension checks at one point or another. During the first trial, they called into question the work of the expert that had conducted the tests, so her murder charges were dropped until they could redo the analysis with a new expert. This required the bodies to be re-exhumed which thinking about that in the 40s seems really difficult and what's interesting is from what i understand about how they did this the exhumation they took canisters of like body from the grave and then like put them back in so like now when you exhume someone you take their remains elsewhere yeah but like it very much seemed as though at the cemetery they were like let's just take some pieces and we're out yikes that's wild yes yes so this time when they re-exhumed them Three toxicologists conducted the analysis, so it was multiple people. At first, Marie was told that they found no arsenic this time. Then, that they had found arsenic in some of the bodies. In the period between the first and second case, a study was conducted that showed that arsenic could enter the human body through soil. We now know, in the year 2023, that the concentration of arsenic in the soil is very small. And it's about like 1 to 40 parts per 1 million parts of soil. So... Incredibly diluted. And we also know that arsenic obviously is a natural element of soil, but I don't think they did know that then. So they were like, there's arsenic, you know? Yeah. There's arsenic in the soil and it's going into these bodies, right? And that's what they're saying. So they tested the soil at the cemetery and they were like, there's arsenic in the soil. So now we're like, yeah, there's arsenic in soil. Of course, you found arsenic in it. Yeah. But they were shocked. And they even talked to people who worked at the cemetery. One guy was like, I was growing potatoes here. I'm so sorry. My bad. That's why there's arsenic in the soil, not because soil has arsenic. So, despite this concern about how the arsenic got into the bodies, whether it was before they died or after they were buried, they still had a second trial. And it began in March of 1954. And in the trial, they had witnesses in the town talk about Marie. And so, some people would say, Oh my gosh, she's just the kindest person I've ever met. And other people were like, She is the worst. She's the meanest person. And a lot of people described her as gracious and caring. And some people were like, no, she was just that for people's money. Right. So it really, really varied. And one person even alleged that she said arsenic is a good substitute for divorce. Oh. <laughs> right. During the trial, one of the defense witnesses who spoke to Aidy, who was back in Germany, said that apparently eighty confessed to being Marie's lover to escape police torture. And he said that he and Marie had never been together and that he didn't think that she was the type of person who could commit the murders. So we're getting a lot of confessions from under duress. Yeah. Again, in this trial, her defense team cast doubt on how the remains were tested because what they argued was that the tests weren't conducted properly. So for one of the tests that they did, the standard was to expose hair to radioactivity for 26.5 hours. And rather than doing that, the experts did it for only 11 hours. They're like, "Mm, let's do it for half, more than half. Why wouldn't you just do it right? Just fucking do it right. You know, like weird, especially when you know that somebody might ask you about it. Yeah. Yeah. The other toxicologists didn't really fare well with the defense's questions either. One of them said, that they admitted to making a mistake on the paperwork. And basically what they did was they wrote 100 milligrams on a document when it should have been 20. Hmm. And that just doesn't feel like an easy, like, written or typed mistake to make. No. Because, like, I could see 10 and 100. Yeah. But 20 and 100 are very different numbers. (laughs) And because of these blunders, the murder trial, again, was dropped. Hmm. So in between her second and third trial... Marie wrote memoirs. And by the time her third trial began, some of the witnesses had died. So, for example, Massip. And he was the one that had originally written the letters to law enforcement. There were also people who recanted their previous allegations, like Pintu, who said that Leon hadn't told her about Marie putting something in his soup. That feels like a pretty big fucking deal, considering that's why they came and tortured everyone. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. So, Again, her defense called into question how the testing was done on the remains. They also mocked the current and previous cases. Love that for them. Finally, her third trial got to a jury deliberations, and she was acquitted of all the murders in 1961. So while all this was happening, she had spent a total of 12 years in prison. Which is incredibly egregious, but especially so when you consider that her fraud charges were only a two-year sentence. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And that this was all like 10 years of waiting for trials. Yes. In 1962, her memoirs were published and became a bestseller. And it was even translated into English. Marie ended up dying in 1980 when she was 84 years old. And people in France are still divided as to whether she poisoned her family or if she didn't. Which is wild considering she's been dubbed the Queen of Poisoners. Yes. Yeah. And do you, Amanda think that she poisoned those people i mean on paper it makes sense that she would have because she was being given a lot but then like if she didn't want the farm and all that stuff why would she kill her husband you know like if she didn't want all that work or maybe she just didn't understand that it would be that much work yeah and that maybe she thought that she'd have that new guy to like do it all for her i don't know how do you feel i don't think she did it first off i want to think that three of our victims are in our 80s let's start there Three or four, actually four of our victims are in their 80s and they're dying of things that people who are in their 80s die of. So that I don't really find that suspicious. Yeah, the younger ones, though. The people who were younger, a random mushroom made this man sick. That's a little weird. Well, that's weird, but also mushrooms can make people really sick. No, I agree with you. But do you know what I think happened? I think Leon did it and she murdered Leon. Which, from the description of what he did to his own father, I would be unsurprised. If he could do that to his dad, he could do that to Marie, right? Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Or even if he didn't, if she realized it might make sense to, like, get before you get got, you know? Mm -hmm. And then she just became overwhelmed. Yeah. It doesn't make sense to me that she would just continue to kill people for this wealth. Because when you think about the sheer amount of properties that they acquired... Yeah, she already achieved wealth. Yeah. Yeah. And like she was dressing nicely, mind you. Right. Like she was doing well, but she didn't need to continue. And given that she obviously wasn't having an affair with Toussaint because he had died. Yeah. And I don't think that she was having an affair with 80 either. So I feel like we would have known because the gossipers were loud. And even Pintu was like, yeah, he never said that. Right. What the fuck, Pintu? It's an interesting case. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a really fascinating one because I don't know. (laughs) So these are our poisoners for today. Let us know what you think. Yeah. Do you think that Marie poisoned her husband? Are you that mad at Julia? We want to know. And with that, have a good weekend. Thanks for creeping with us. Thanks for listening. And as always, a special thank you to our patrons who support us via Patreon. Please see the link in our show notes to learn more about how you, yes, you, can begin to haunt the dump, guard vortexes, or even become a Scorching Sasquatch. Also in our show notes, you can find the link to our website, more information on our sources, our social media handles, and our merch store. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps and or ghosts. I beg of you. Yeah, so we uh we have captured countless dogs. Over captured, here, right? like, not rescued. Captured, captured <laughs> them from the streets. Yes, and then made them love us. <laughs> but I keep a, a leash and a collar and treats and spare tags that you can write on in my car. Like there's just a whole thing capturing supplies capturing supplies, yes. Even last month when Madison was here, I found a dog while we were out. And I was like, we got to find where this goes. And I did find where it went. But anyways, some of them have made it home with us where we've either adopted out or found their owners. But anyways, it happens so frequently. But when we were driving... Mike's like I think I just saw a dog and I'm like no way normally I'm the one that spots them but I was looking at my phone so it makes sense yeah and so he's like it ran that way do you want to get out do you want me to get out and I was like no I'll get out it's fine and then he's like because he's driving because you're the passenger princess right absolutely yeah Yes, yes, yes so I'm like okay I'll I'll get out and then He's like, I'll park and then I'll meet you over there and we'll both like try to find this dog. And I'm like, okay. And that's how he got me where he wanted to propose because he told me there was a loose dog because that's what I'm doing at all times. And I didn't even think of it. Where did he want to propose to you? So funny enough, he and Toby went on many adventures. I guess he took days off that week and I didn't know because I was at work. And he tried to scope out like the perfect spot by like we have lakes and some pretty areas of the desert. I'll admit, sometimes the as desert is pretty. As pretty as it can be, you know, you know. But then he was afraid that I wouldn't be able to get there because then I'd be mad that there's, you know, cactus or weird shit or animals <laughs> yeah, or whatever okay. that I don't want near me, like rattlesnakes. Loving it. Loving this. And a man good spot. He did it by our house, by the bridge. Because it oh, is pretty there. Yes. But I love that Toby was part of it, that he had to find where to go. And then that, you know, a dog that didn't exist was also part of it. I love a proposal that takes a lot of like, not like a lot, but like thoughtful planning. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's like, yeah, but stray dog, Amanda's going to find it. Stray horse, Amanda's going to find it. I'm going to go. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's tame now. When he was like two, though, he did somehow find lipstick. And I'm like, I rarely wear lipstick. Where did you find this? And drew all over the wall. And it was bright red went through like the paint you couldn't clear like there's no getting it off you don't have bright red lipstick is that a color you've ever worn i can't picture you in it i think i had it probably for like halloween or oh okay because also how long have you had purple hair for Mm, like eight or nine years maybe Maybe a little longer? Yeah. So what I'm saying is that during this was a time period where you were still purple haired. So it's not like because I feel like purple hair and red lipstick is not a vibe that I see you in the regular on, you know? No, no. But yeah, he found it. And funny enough, that's the biggest mess Toby has ever done, too, is he (gasps) found red lipstick when he was a puppy 15 years ago and chewed on it to the point where the carpet and all of his paws were bright red. And he was the happiest pup ever. Well, yeah, and like, I wear a lot of pink and red makeup. Most of my makeup that I wear is red or pink. I have red eyeliner on right now. Mm. Discord doesn't like our cameras as much as it does some of the not. other programs. Oh, no, it's like a very, like, 2010 kind of experience in this moment. But Flip I on. have green eyes, so it, like, makes them pop. Ah. Yeah. I have nothing. I have a, I was sick this week, face going. You're here. That's what matters. What the fuck, Pindu? Unce, unce, unce. Dun, 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 dun. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. That's what your phone's doing. Lynn well, will... <laughs> It's begun. <laughs> it's already begun. That was a very hard sentence to say because there were so many big P words there. Present and poison person. Like, it's a lot of. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I get that. I feel like Toby's thankful for it. Like, thank you for helping me. I know this sucks. And your cat's like, how fucking dare you? No, no. My sweet Prince Harry. He's like. <laughs> When he takes this guy of a and then he just moves on. And then he rubs against him. He's like, that was unpleasant, but I know I'm going to be feeling good. So thank you, mother. And he's starring in children's books. He's starring in children's books now. I think it comes this weekend. I'm so excited. It's so dumb. I laughed so hard. And like having him in my mind as like someone trying to take these pictures of him. Oh, because they're also like clearly like holding him. Like in the photos, that's where like the illustrations overlap, right? It's like where they're clearly hands. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oliver brought home a book yesterday from the school library and he was so excited. He's like, I got the funniest book, mom. You have to read it. And when I finally opened his backpack when we were going to read last night, I was like, Oh my God, this is Lindsay's cat. He is the star. Yeah. It looks like Mr. Harry P. Winston himself. And then I died and then I sent it to her and then they died and ordered the book. He's my sweet marshmallow boy. Oh, I like Ben saw it and he was like, Did you see this thing? I'm innocent. And I was like, Not yet. He was laughing for two minutes and couldn't speak before he told me that and then was like continuing to cackle and that was just with him looking at the cover of this book before we even got to the inside of it <laughs> amazing i'm so excited to read it to olivia tell him marie i don't know why i said marie um amanda just before we end i have a very important question to ask you and i've been waiting to ask you this entire time because this is now the soundtrack of my head Okay. All of the time. Okay. Uh, I'm going to sing you a song, and I want you to tell me if it means anything to you. Is it Fishboy or Fishhead? No, it's not Fishboy. Whatever it was. Fish no, Fishboy. And I said Fishboy right back to you. It's not Fishhead. It is. Let me just get, take a sip of water first. Capybara. Capybara, capybara. capybara, 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 Capybara. Does this resonate with you? Is Livy having you watch weird cartoons? <laughs> No, that's the side of I'm on Capybara TikTok. Oh, and 40 percent of the TikToks that come up on my for you page are now Capybaras or have this sound or are about other people being on Capybara TikTok. Okay, that's new. I have not seen that. And I was like, maybe this is everyone. I'm not on that side of TikTok yet. I'm sure it will happen now. I hope it does for you. It's a, it's a it's a treat. I forced it upon Ben now because like oh, my love language is well, I did send it to him, but my love language is will you watch TikToks with me in bed? Yeah. And he is like, OK. And so I was like, Ugh. but also I'm like, sing it. And he goes, Capybara. <laughs> sings it. Oh my he knows what I mean, like unprompted, like we're not we're talking about something else. And I just turn and go, sing it. And then he sings it. What side of TikTok are you on now then? Um, my side of TikTok is a lot different. Oh. Lately it's been a lot of like when we were young in music, um, obviously animals. Of course. Uh a lot of raccoons. <laughs> I mean, I do love a raccoon on TikTok. <laughs> a lot of raccoons. Little hands. And like, I don't know if everyone's getting this. I keep seeing it all the time. There's this woman who like makes strange drinks and she says like coffee and honey very strangely. Like she emphasizes weird parts of the word. And she's always like putting stuff inside fruit. And I keep getting her TikToks and then like people remaking them, but like in silly ways. I mean, she shares them again and like laughs. So it's not like making fun of her. It's more like kind of a joke. I don't know. It's weird. I get that a lot. But I think that's like the only odd one. Is she putting she's putting coffee in fruit? Yeah, she's making like various types of coffee. I can't imagine a fruit that I would want coffee inside of like not a single one. Yeah, it's weird. I'm going to start sending them to you so you have to see this too. Perfect, perfect, perfect. It's like that and like political. I want you to naturally end up on Capybara TikTok. I don't want you to search for it. I want it to search for you. I'm surprised because I get so many different animals. I get a lot of farm life, like different goats doing weird things and a lot of ducks. You know what you haven't gotten yet, though? Capybara. Capybara. I mean, I can't wait. I can't wait to get there. It just brings me just so much joy every time it pops up. And there's no like reason that I needed to bring this up other than I just need it. I need everyone to be on Capybara TikTok now. It feels very important. Honestly, for everyone's now. joy. It's going to happen because someone's going to search for it and they're going to send it to someone. And then soon everyone will be on it. It'll be the, the mainstream TikTok that <laughs> everyone sees. Not just me and like 30 other people, apparently. <laughs> you think only 30 people? Okay. I don't know. I don't know. I feel definitely that I will not last much longer. I am sure that I have been poisoned. I cannot rid myself of this idea. Someone has given me Aqua Tofana and calculated the precise time of my death.